Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Wednesday night edition of the pod, back to the normal format here, recording afterwards. I asked about this on Twitter, actually, if you had some feedback for us. We had a little bit different of a format going with the uh, the live recording with some questions from people on Periscope at the end of the Twitter NBA show. If you thought that that was useful, please let us know. If you prefer that we just go with the normal format, please let us know. I think as of right now, we might do that every once in a while, maybe like once a week during the playoffs when it's kind of more convenient to just record right after the games are over and they're fresh in our mind but uh that is not the case today we got a couple of good ones here no real close games down the end um but i think the place to start is with the cleveland cavaliers evening things with the indiana pacers it was a 197 Cavs win, although Oladipo hit a meaningless three late. They were not quite in contact late in the game. And LeBron James decided that they were going to win this game. And he put up 46 points, 17 of 24 field goals, five assists, two steals, only three turnovers with that level of usage. Incredible in 40 minutes as the Cavs pulled even. Yeah. And you would think, considering the structure of the Pacers and, you know, their their most common defender on him is Bogdan Bogdanovich that LeBron and Miles Turner we've talked including during the Twitter NBA show on this game about his ineffectiveness as a rim deterrent he can block some shots yeah. but that's not I thought he was better has. in the second half so actually would, but yeah in the first half less sure so. yeah but so so you say okay you know LeBron makes a ton of shots you know he's 17 of 24 from the field 10 of 13 from the line you go okay well he did most of his damage on the interior and he, he certainly did do a portion of that eight of nine in the restricted area but then seven of nine from mid-range and two of five from three including two of four above the break so that means he was a combined nine of 14 from jump shot on jump shots and 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 every single one of those was either off the dribble self-created i don't think he had a single jumper that was assisted yeah like a catch and shoot or anything like that i don't recall any of those either and so there are a couple different ways to interpret that so one is certainly good for cleveland when lebron is feeling it when he has his jumper going they were going to it a lot especially in that really dominant run at the beginning of the first quarter so certainly there is a positive you could take from Cleveland's perspective there but there is also a negative and that negative is I thought Cleveland played better defense overall in this game LeBron was absolutely molten and I thought they got better performances overall from their from their substitutes they played a more cogent starting lineup and 
this game was a wide, wide, wide open Victor Oladipo 3 with about 30 seconds to go away from being tied with about 30 seconds to go. And so the the, the optimist for Cleveland, the people who are on that side will say, okay, you know, we, we play better, we won. But this was way closer than I would have expected when you consider all those factors. Well, throw in two other things too. Number one, six of 22 from three for the Pacers. A lot of wide open ones that really could have made a big difference late in the game. And then also, although Collison did hit a couple to get them back into it. And then also the fact that the Pacers' best player was plus 11 oh but he only played 28 minutes but it was a good thing though that mcmillan took him out so much in the first half because you know he finished with five fouls he clearly would have fouled out if he'd played even another minute oh wait no he finished with three fouls the exact same number he had when he took him out with six minutes left in the second quarter and oladipo i believe has only fouled out once in yeah his NBA like 378 career. games or something with schumann schumann yeah, had the it, stat it, it, it parallels the goran dragic sitting earlier another low foul guy and certainly there are downsides i mean to having your guy in there maybe he picks up a third foul in the first quarter or anything like that but the pacers offense just went off an absolute cliff once victor oladipo left the game because he is their best offensive player the Cavs have treated him differently remember at the end of game one they were trapping victor oladipo and switching on everyone else or doing something else sometimes they would just try to battle yeah. through the screen but and he causes those sorts of freakouts for a damn good reason because he is an awesome player we both had him third team all nba for a reason and he was the best player on the floor in game one and so to take him off because of the idea that maybe he fouls out well you know what if he picks up an extra foul at some point gets into all that and they trust him nate mcmillan trust him i play i think he plays a lot more than 28 minutes in this game yeah now it's one thing if he's a center or something a guy who commits fouls or who you know if he is unwilling to play physically you're really going to be compromised right like that was always when amari stoudemire would get in foul trouble for the suns he he just would completely deactivate and the other team would just go crazy scoring on them because he didn't want to pick up another foul old depot yeah. is not a or blanco yes yeah yeah white side right that's another one <laughs> blonde blanco yeah it's a it's a great reference to uh fournier and gobert uh talking about him just wanting to get stats um so old depot goes out when it's four zero just one minute into the game and of course you know he's got to sit and the other thing i said on the show too was what is it about the second quarter it's like oh now he can come back in that 12 minutes have elapsed he can't come back in now that 10 minutes have elapsed you know with 14 minutes left in the half instead of 12 there's something magical about the fact that the second quarter has now started and therefore it's okay to bring him back in it just i mean and this isn't mcmillan obviously he's a, a little bit more of an old school coach of course and this is the way that foul trouble is been managed for a, a very long time but i mean we've made this point many times but to say okay he only played 28 minutes right and they played him as many minutes as they possibly could in the second half you said it he's gonna play more minutes if you leave him out there maybe he falls out at the end it's like okay i get the end of the game's more important in theory than the beginning but you don't know he's gonna fall out at the end of the game and so by playing him that few minutes in the first half i think he only played maybe eight minutes in the first half you are essentially ensuring that the foul trouble matters instead of taking a chance that the foul trouble would matter are you emotionally prepared to talk about the fouls that victor that caused victor oladipo to get in 
into foul trouble um well we i tweeted it out and of course it is a sad commentary that the most responses i mean probably my most retweeted most responded to tweets i mean there were probably like over 100 comments on the on the tweet that uh ben doll our, our intern for true nba show uh, put together of because they never actually showed a replay of it of love taking a massive step to his right as oladipo was attempting to just fly by him and contest the shot and that it's bad enough when players take a step in in an unnatural shooting motion but that for better or for worse that's the rule with the league is you know if you take a step in you're not going to get called for an offensive foul uh you get the guy in the air but then uh it is was a point of emphasis in the last few years that if you take that step to your right and love is really the only guy who does that anymore now take that big step to the right because it's a point of emphasis you're not supposed to be allowed to do it and this is the second time now in the last month or so that love has gotten that call and i was just like screaming on the Twitter nba show as soon as it happened because we had the perfect angle for it you could see it on the main tv but the referee either didn't have the angle or whatever but totally blew that call that's a point of emphasis that's and just that's just not being prepared by the referee because you know that kevin love does that stuff that that is that is his signature move at least one of them uh to step usually to his right into a guy trying to fly past him and you know, of course that should be an offense follower at the very least a no call because like how are you ever going to contest a shot like the guy's aiming away from the guy's body intentionally and then he moves his body into him it's not it's a little different when you get the guy in the air and then you step in you know the guy was really fooled this was just a normal closeout from uh from oladipo so um yeah that was too bad but it, it was pointed out too uh and thank you to all the tweeters who were like but you didn't tweet out a video of when he pushed off at jr smith 20 seconds before like yeah do i need to tweet out like literally every play that happened and it's like like you didn't comment about it like actually we did comment on it on our live show when we, when we do yeah we, we said he got yeah, bailed when out we do comment on on every play uh but anyway yes he certainly could have gotten his third foul on a pretty blatant shove of jr smith but the first foul was a dubious charge the second foul was lebron james flopping and again like that's a, that's a borderline call the superstar for the indiana pacers a minute into the game you're gonna put him give him a second foul in on a flop like that from a 280 pound guy in james or a 260 pound guy whatever he's playing at this year just just miserable um so and again like those these things even out i'm not claiming that there's some sort of a conspiracy it's just you know the the calls could have been better uh, on those particular instances and even though his final line and of course that's not everything in the game didn't look good i was very impressed with the way Corey joseph stepped up in that first quarter and played with a lot of energy originally mcmillan brought in lance stevenson to be oladipo's replacement but that only lasted like 30 seconds and then there was a stoppage i can't remember if it was a timeout or not and they brought in joseph because they needed more shot creation i mean oladipo gives the pacers more flexibility at the one i still don't love darren collison as a shot creator for other people so having a second guy on the floor had to battle defensively and I think that's a good lead-in about one of the other big changes in this game which was Cleveland's starting lineup they went away from Jeff Green in the starting five they also swapped Rodney Hood for J.R. Smith I believe that happened yeah that was that was a game one to game two switch and it ties in with something that you and I said before the series said before the
the playoffs of Cleveland can just outscore people because they have LeBron James just unbelievable at getting in this game shots for himself but then of course also for other people and what having Kyle Korver having J.R. Smith on the floor does in combination with Kevin Love is there's nowhere to really get reliable help from and LeBron is so good at finding those passes that you really noticed it when a lineup other than those reliable shooters was on the floor even if some of those other guys are talented basketball players yeah I thought McMillan coached a pretty good game outside of the Oladipo thing uh we said hey where the hell are you gonna put Miles Turner now right they got Hill solid three-point shooter Corver, JR they had Turner on JR for a time they had Turner guarding George Hill for a time and Hill hit a couple of shots early but they just don't want to run that much through George Hill and even with Turner being spaced out a lot they still did a really nice job of defending the room the Cavs shot a nice percentage there but only 25 percent of their shots at the rim was very poor and then for Indiana they went to the rim with abandon 45 percent of their shots at the rim and this was a solid enough three-point shooting performance by Cleveland high 30s and yet for all that you know the Pacers totally held the Cavs to a pretty league average performance on offense only 110 points per 100 possessions uh per cleaning the glasses stats those are always gonna the actual possession count is always gonna be a little bit higher than what's on nba.com because they nba.com just estimates them instead of actually counting the possessions and usually that leads to a few more phantom possessions showing up because they don't count team offensive rebounds um or and ones to like reduce the number of possessions that's why that occurs so and, and indiana after just a miserable start i mean it was 13 to 0 three minutes and 30 seconds into the game and it was 24 to 8 uh i'm sorry 24 to 6 at 1.7 minutes into the game so just really impressive resiliency resilience from the pacers and there are a number of times when they got back into it they got within 10 it got pushed up to 15 they got back within 10 they got within five got pushed back to 10 they got back within five it it was really impressive work from uh, this pacers team helped by the fact that oladipo came back in and was fresh um what else you got here i think since it was so exciting to see on the broadcast we should mention that both demontis sabonis and Thaddeus Young tried to make plays with their right hand two of the most notorious Zoolanders meaning they only go one direction those guys it's both their left hand and Sabonis missed Thaddeus Young made it from what I recall and it's always good to see guys add a little bit more to their repertoire absolutely Sabonis that's really the first time I've ever seen him go to, to the right hand so that was great to see other notes on this one Cleveland continues to have no answers for Oladipo, and it was really great theater with about four minutes left in the fourth. Oladipo gets the switch on LeBron, and he's like, well, I'm just going to go at LeBron. And he blows by him and did a really nice job of actually slowing down at the rim because usually if you are ahead of LeBron, that's when he can get off of one foot and just like sky above and get that chase down block. But he slowed down, forcing LeBron to slow down. He's able to sneak it past him. Oladipo not only has he improved incredibly with his quickness and his moves off the dribble and his shooting this year but he used to be a going back to his orlando days a really poor finisher off the dribble and that certainly has changed he has some beautiful righty twisting layups from the left side i mean really just fantastic stuff for him and it was unfortunate that the three ball was a little bit off for him two for eight really one of seven during the meat of the game um and he just missed that one late that could have tied it after Darren Collison made a couple of really nice plays, hitting some big threes, and, and then 
on that last play i thought the pacers dialed up a really nice play with because the Cavs are so concerned about regular pick and roll against oladipo and they tried everything they tried trapping they moved the ball they tried just playing conventional pick and roll defense oladipo blew by the big to the rim they tried switching oladipo would just beat that guy um and so this time they had Bogdanovich come over and then just slip the screen because they figured they're going to double Oladipo. Bogdanovich would be wide open for the tying three and they just couldn't get it. And then there was something that you and I disagreed on. Cleveland gets the rebound with 27 seconds left. Pacers still had a timeout down three. You thought they should foul. They did. LeBron hits two free throws and they never had a chance to get back into it. I thought with the timeout left there, where you can advance the ball you chance it i would rather have you know three seconds two and a half seconds to get a three off um and and know that we'll at least have one chance to tie it even if it's not great at least you can advance the ball um as opposed to playing the foul game but you didn't see it that way no and a a part of the reason why i didn't is i absolutely do not trust indiana's defensive rebounding especially not in their base lineup and cleveland would have some pretty clear incentives there and remember if yeah but teams teams never actually adhere to those incentives by hitting the offensive glass with everybody late in games when it would be obvious to but but i i agree with you they have incentives they just well and and in in that circumstance you know that if this this is again not something the teams adhere to but you know that if indiana gets the rebound all they're going to do is call a timeout so they're really not facing oh i I totally agree with you it would be a great idea to crash the glass although you are risking a potential over the backbreaker i don't recall whether they're in the bonus in fact i'm I'm sure they were in the bonus at that point i'm guessing but but the over the backbreaker isn't the end of the world because uh it's only two shots and you're up three yeah it's a foul game yeah so i i think there's there's a game to be played there that isn't really done enough but we haven't talked about this i'm not even sure if you know the full details but dave mcmenman wrote about an hour before we recorded this about what's going on with kevin love's thumb so kevin love has a so mcmenman's piece starts with this really strange two sentence sequence and i'm just going to read it verbatim cavaliers forward kevin love suffered a partially torn ligament in his left thumb during wednesday night's game two against the indiana pacers sources told espn's brian windhorse that's the first sentence second sentence despite the injury head coach Tyron Lue said Love will be ready to go for game three on Friday in Indianapolis. Like, it didn't look good. And to have the confidence now, yes, the x-ray came back negative, which is great. But to say, okay, he has a partially torn ligament in his thumb, and he's def- and he's definitely going to be ready to play two days from now is a little bit jarring to me. Yeah, at least it's his left thumb, you know. But yeah, catching passes, certainly reaching in. I mean, you imagine that thumb will be heavily taped. He did not return just because uh, Lou said he liked the unit that was out there. Um but and then you recall also that he kind of tweaked his his ankle uh, on a jump shot earlier in the game as well and it wasn't really clear exactly what happened to him but he was limping around after that so he's looking pretty beat up um you know he's still coming off of that hand fracture uh, that just you know he came back about a month ago so he, he's really it's going to be a problem i think uh for the cavaliers we'll see how he's able to play but you know love doesn't use his left hand a ton but especially for a guy who really you know likes to jostle around the rim having a hand injury is not great um the hope at least is that you know it's his guide hand when he shoots so it won't affect that that's a, obviously a, a, his biggest skill and they they went to him more in the post th- this game two out of six from three he only had nine shots in the previous game uh 
he hit some tough hook shots uh, over trevor booker and, and over young uh but you know to finish five out of 16 they i thought they defended him well enough and again with all the shooting that was on the floor it's probably a win when you get the ball to love in the post and then the other thing i thought for cleveland was yeah sure you know your uh your starting lineup has all this shooting but they played nance a bunch of minutes and he really he only took one field goal attempt right and think of how much they were able to help uh, off of him and, and wall off the paint jeff green actually did play 13 minutes uh he was negative seven basically everyone on the Cavs bench calderon uh got the call before jordan clarkson and then clarkson played more than him in the second half but both those guys were in the negative rodney hood who actually welcomed in twins today but played uh he had 16 minutes and that was your Cavs 10-man rotation thompson osman and obviously zizic continue to remain out of that rotation but and certainly through two games that lakers trade is uh is not looking great it's not. And with Nance, he certainly has positives. I like his effort level. The steal he got in this game was pretty impactful. It was a play where it was a, I think it was a single read movement where Collison was trying to get the ball to Miles Turner and Nance just went for it and got the ball, got the steal. I don't think they got a transition opportunity. I think it led to a foul, but I like that sort of effort. But Nance has two big flaws when it comes to Cleveland. One is he can't space the floor because they're not, teams aren't going to respect the shot. He's not going to, he's not aggressive enough with it. Doesn't take enough of them and doesn't make enough obviously so if they're running that high double screen with the guards like they they did in game one to success and they did to to a lesser degree and yeah pacers were ready for that i thought mcmillan coached them up to, yeah. to defend that play well and and when you do it with larry nance instead of kevin love out there well okay you have then that means you have a help defender in the lane and wh- whatever guy breaks out and is going towards the basket is facing more opposition that way and the pass to nance isn't as good of an opportunity so you have that and then nance is you know he's he's at a good effort guy all all of those sorts of things but he's not really a good rim protector either or a great help defense guy he has this vertical athleticism he has int- intriguing length but he doesn't affect drivers or cutters in the way that you would sometimes think that a player with his athleticism would yeah so, the, the idea of him is much better than the actual what he actually is sure so so and there are ways to use the gravity that he has as a role man absolutely we've seen that with DeAndre Jordan for years when you play him with LeBron but Kevin Love is a superior option going small and just trying to outscore teams is a superior option and so maybe if Cleveland's team is reformatted next Next year there's a better place for nance but in this series i think the best role for him is as kevin loves backup and i think they should seriously consider even though he's been imperfect trying out tristan thompson just because his strengths are maybe more relevant in this kind of series when you consider how awful indiana is as a defensive rebounding yeah team. that that's an interesting point indiana is not a huge running team either late in the season they were a high pace team early and then really like were one of the lower pace teams in the league afterwards um and also like Cavs don't run that much pick and roll anymore you know James he's a good pick and roll player but he doesn't have the jumper off the drill to really open things up in the pick and roll um and a lot of times teams will switch that a little bit um and so then when you're going to a James Iso Nance is hanging out under the rim and that just lets the help come you know with someone like Turner more easily uh yeah and I think given the offensive bent of these Cavs lineups and I thought playing Corver more was good you know they don't really have anyone who could take advantage of Corver. he had a huge game with uh 12 points on eight shots four of eight 
from three those those were all of his shots and i thought he even his defensive execution and his effort is something that the Cavs have lacked even if of course he's a poor one-on-one oh, defender thought of a couple things that we should also mention two big defensive plays late in this game yeah. for the Cavs. one kyle corver stoning to as well as he could miles turner on a key possession and then before that, that J.R. smith just forced a turnover forced a turnover on victor oladipo and then ended up converting that for two points and so it was a pretty significant swing and yes this game was really a six point game but as i said it was close oladipo had that shot with less than a minute yeah to go. i mean if that doesn't if that smith steal in the backcourt with like three minutes left i think that put them up seven doesn't happen you know we might be recording a different podcast tonight that was great pressure and oladipo turned it over smith was able to convert it and but still like this pacers defense not only was pretty good and the offense was all that failed them really i mean they were six out of 22 on three and six out of 22 for mid-range as well and then 29 out of 34 at the rim so they were really they were getting pretty good shots and just they weren't quite going down and for the Cavs with this superhuman effort from lebron based especially on a lot of mid-rangers I guess you hope you uh, 28 three-point attempts is not really that much for this team. I think that's pretty good defense by the Pacers. They've defended the Cavs better than I ever thought possible. And, and their defense has really trended upward throughout the season adjustments for the next game well we'll have to see what, what kevin love can bring and i talked about this on the twitter nba show but this is an important point to bring up that when they traded channing fry in that same lakers trade they lost the closest reasonable facsimile they had to kevin love and even the perimeter players that they could play in his stead let's say they wanted to go to lebron at center are generally worse shooters than kevin love so cleveland will be in some difficulty if he can't be right even if he can play you know in that ready to play quote from from Ty Lu, that's one thing but they'll need that i would like to see more george hill even though he's been yeah. kind of a good absolutely like like why would series? you play why don't i just play george hill 30 minutes instead of calder on 13 and george hill 20 you know that's and, and corkson 14 like i think play one of those two guys maybe both I mean, maybe hill is just maybe hill is just hurt but lebron just doesn't yeah. sit yeah, he'll maybe. actually fouled out eventually. I mean, that's a fair assumption. So maybe that's part that's of why a fair, that's a, he played little. Hill being hurt is a generally a fair assumption <laughs> yeah. to make. I mean, yeah. and and Rodney Hood, an, another one of those moves that was done and we were intrigued by it because of the ceiling. But something we said is, you know, like, you know, this guy, if he had delivered more consistently, even when he was healthy, Utah wouldn't be trading him. But Utah traded him, got Jake Crowder in that deal. And we'll talk about his, his role in a little bit. And it's good that Cleveland has other options because... Because some days Hood has it, some days he doesn't. Just based on how these teams have played over the first two games, you would say that the Pacers have the advantage. They still have the home court. The Cavs came out got a lot of lucky stuff to go right for them i thought you could say that the pacers probably outplayed the Cavs in terms of their shot quality you could say that generally you know without the luck of oladipo getting into foul trouble the bad calls the pacers win this game you could say a lot of that but it's still the cavaliers and it's still lebron james and he's still capable of putting up these nights and and despite the fact that he had the 46 i thought bogdanovich did a really good job on him like he tried hard like he was i, I liked his technique fronting lebron where he just stood in front of him and got his butt into him actually drew an offensive foul on lebron with that technique instead of trying to kind of three-quarter it um you know really just get your butt into him and, and push him more towards the baseline force them to lob it over the top uh, i thought he did a great job he wasn't really getting run over and then uh, they were able to bring the help i think the number one adjustment for the cavaliers is if they're hiding miles turner on jr smith or they're hiding miles turner on george hill dial up a couple of sets that take advantage of his help instincts you know have lebron drive for one side put it 
a Hill or Smith in the opposite corner and, and try to get Turner to help and, and get those guys open and put them put them in rotation um Although guys like Oladipo, who played another great defensive game outside of the fouls, uh, he really just shows up in various areas. Uh, Young is a good rotation guy. Collison, Joseph, like those guys have some pretty good quickness recovering the shooters. But nonetheless, there's a way to take advantage of Miles Turner guarding a solid three-point shooter like that. Um, yeah. I, I mean, you could also take advantage of Miles Turner's help instincts by just driving when he's two feet away from the basket instead of one foot away from the basket. <laughs> he, he was better in the second half. He, he did strive. I mean, there was one play where you know lebron did a backdoor cut and turner was standing like right at the charge circle and had no idea until lebron had laid it in and another one where he got dunked on but uh unless jeff green even less but it's really amazing that with all this ostensible depth that the Cavs accumulated and man Ty Lue how is he even gonna manage to call out the rotation well you're still playing Jose Calderon who was essentially out of the league last year um you know he's a third point guard you're playing him Clarkson you, you want to prove to me that that guy is like a winning player uh Nance is an okay backup but he doesn't really fit in with what they're trying to do Jeff Green a guy who's available for the minimum for a reason he had a nice year but uh is doing his usual disappearing act in the playoffs we thought that Hood was a quality rotation player maybe we're not seeing that from him and then you know thompson who was a stalwart on this team is just not even playing all this great depth that they supposedly had i mean their their bench has got work today and i would like to see especially with lebron playing 40 minutes a game they could run a narrower two three rotation and just give more of those minutes to hood you know even if he goes from 16 to 24 that can yeah. tone down a lot of what they need from those spots just stagger corver and smith a little bit it's not like oh those guys have such good chemistry you have to play them together they've been through thrown in various combinations throughout their tenure in Cleveland yeah I mean and Corver and Smith to me are clearly their two best options on the wing outside of LeBron of course who played full-time in this game at the four uh certainly never played Jeff Green and Larry Nance Jr. together especially on the second unit you're not going to have a nearly enough scoring um anything else on this one or shall we uh, move on to Jazz Thunder I think we can move on all right, first, we shall talk about our friends at Stamps.com, a company that you have utilized extensively as the author of a physical book that needs to be mailed to places. Yeah, that's certainly different. I mean, I never worked for a newspaper or anything like that. I never had to send my pieces out to family and friends, but with a book, you do. And there are a series of costs involved in that. And it's not only cost. I think the bigger element that I grew to appreciate in this is inconvenience in terms of time. In the early days, there was a satisfaction you know for the first like batch let's say there was a satisfaction in going to the post office and having those boxes and be like hey this is going to x person all that and then what i realized is well yeah that feeling is kind of cool maybe once but when you're dealing with this volume of actual things that you have to do there are a series of different elements that stamps.com can make way better timing is a very important part of that making sure that you have accurate postage and doing it on your own schedule and you and i are fortunate compared to most people that we actually do have more flexibility during the day depending yeah. on what depending on the, what other those people don't have. want to go to the post office during the day though you know no one wants to do you're, they, you you got to be does. at work yeah no that's what i'm saying we have more flexibility and we still hate it and other everybody else has way less flexibility than we do and so the ability to arrange pickups to to schedule those to have everything done within the comfort of your own home is absolutely wonderful and i'm so thankful that i wrote a book at a time when stamps.com exists you too can get started with stamps.com buy and print official u.s postage for any letter any 
any package any class of mail postcards envelopes packages long books that were written at 5 a.m about the golden state warriors whatever you need to send out stamps.com can do it for you your own computer and printer can do it for you click print mail and you're done They'll send you a digital scale, which automatically calculates exact postage. They'll also help you decide the best class of mail based on your needs. And right now, you too can enjoy the Stamps.com service with their special offer. Four weeks for their trial, plus postage, and a digital scale. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in CapSpace. You remember, we talk about CapSpace all the time here on the program. That's Stamps.com, enter CapSpace at the top of the homepage. Let's go to Utah OKC now, a 102-95 Utah win. It's certainly, although the Jazz played well and stymied the Thunder in the first half, giving up only 46 points, it did not appear that the ending would be a happy one for the Jazz. They were outscored 19-0 as the Thunder pulled to a 77-67 lead late in the third. And then the Jazz immediately responded with their own 18-3 run. Donovan Mitchell started that off with seven quick points right at the end of the third quarter. And then he followed that up with 13 in the fourth quarter. He'd been having a pretty rough game with that contusion on his foot. Ended up playing 43 minutes, 28 points, 10 of 25 from the field. Couldn't make a three 0 for 7, but was getting to the, the foul line, getting to the rim time and time again, even beating Paul George. And I thought that his performance uh, offensively was huge, as it was uh, for one Derek Favors, who continues his struggle playoff play you remember he was a huge part of why with Rudy Gobert out they ended up beating the Clippers last year he had eight offensive rebounds as Steven Adams got into foul trouble so did Gobert Favors was the biggest guy in the court and just started beasting uh to keep the Jazz ahead in the first half he had eight offensive rebounds in the first half uh and then was excellent on the defensive glass as well he and Gobert combined for 31 rebounds in this game yeah, a, a lot of different things to unpack on this, but Donovan Mitchell is a good place to start. I think the other one is the way Utah defended in the last portion of this game. So you talked about that the OKC went on that 19-0 run. After that run, they only scored 18 points in the rest of this game, and that was a quarter and then a, and then a little bit. I think it was about 13, 13 and a half minutes. And I thought the Jazz overall did a very good job, and they were helped by something altogether surprising, which was the absence of Steven Adams for most of that time because Adams got was in foul trouble so he picked up a fourth foul in the third quarter and then there was that stretch about midway through the fourth and they only scored 18 points in in that stretch Oklahoma City carved up Utah a couple possessions with that Russell Westbrook Stephen Adams pick and roll and even though Adams was having discomfort in his it looked like he was having discomfort in his wrist in his hand he was still able to get a couple finishes and, and Russ got got loose once too from what I recall but then he got pointed off the floor by Rudy Gobert after Gobert drew Adams's sixth foul on a contest when Adams didn't go straight up and didn't get the benefit of verticality yeah and, and certainly Adams himself I'd never seen him that upset before he's usually quite stoic uh OKC fans certainly upset but I thought it was a good call um because Adams did not go straight up he had his hands forward he didn't jump and there was contact on the forearm of Rudy Gobert and when you don't jump and you don't and you put your hands forward like that you are taking the risk that if there's any contact whatsoever it is a foul on you and I thought that that was properly called we saw the referee I forget who it was exactly explaining hey you know you had your hands forward there was contact that's a foul and it is I mean it's really if that's not a foul it's so hard as a post player to go up because like the guy can basically just put like a tent over your head and then you go into his arms and 
like you, you can't go up like there's he's putting his arms right over your head and so you try to bring the ball up right into his arms and there's contact if that's not a foul there's no way to actually like go up and score over someone so that's why the rule is the way that it is and and that was a, i thought a, a good call on adams much as we complain about the rest i thought that they got that one right um what the other one that many thunder fans were aggrieved by was the carmelo anthony push in the back of mitchell um two things on that one Number one, in slow motion, it does look like he actually affected uh, Mitchell's rise to the basket. And number two, you just got blown by. You got two other guys waiting at the rim. There's no reason to put your hand on the guy's back. And that's just one of those things where the referee he can't tell sometimes whether you actually pushed him or not but your hand is there you're giving the referee a cue on which to call a foul and that's i mean that's the way you have to operate a lot of times as a referee is well you know you see something that's a cue and you have to react to it immediately you don't have time to say oh you know i guess he didn't push him really but his hand was there no you see it you got to call it that's the way it works as a referee and so there's no reason that you're not going to gain any advantage by putting a hand on a guy's back like that so just don't do it yeah the only way you're going to gain an advantage that way is by actually fouling him so that doesn't really help a whole heck of a lot and I think one of the other big dynamics in this game and it was a point you brought up when we did our series preview is that Utah is not predisposed to attacking a weak link unless it is through the natural flow of their offense and late in this game we got the first inklings of oh yeah that's right we're facing a team that has Carmelo Anthony on defense maybe we should do a little bit more to get him involved in the primary action and it led to these hilarious little dances where the thunder were trying to pre-switch these screens that were trying to involve mellow and so then the jazz would send the other guy and they go back and forth and it was good to see utah attack in that way because that's what teams should do and then the other thing that was really interesting was russell westbrook was very aggressive helping off of ricky rubio it was wasn't quite to the level of like damian lillard just going to double team drew holiday at half court but it was russ standing at the nail and one pass away ricky rubio hit a huge corner three to really ice it uh i thought for the jazz he hit a huge one too to put them up three late in the game after the jazz had made that run and then they were kind of going back and forth for a while rubio finishing five of eight from three only one out of eight from two uh, so they did force Rubio to take probably more shots than they would have wanted. Joe Ingles continued to be totally erased, although he was plus 21 in this game. He was only one out of six from the field. But I thought he did excellent work guarding Paul George. George, 43 minutes with that hip contusion, which he was supposedly questionable before the game. Four of 12 from three really was not able to get anything from two. Did not really get to the foul line either with four attempts. And, and the Jazz did a great job of not fouling for only 18 free throw attempts for the Thunder. 20 three free throw attempts for the jazz between gobert and mitchell yep. they got to the line a lot but it was uh yeah well, it was th- it was 33 they made oh i'm sorry yes i misspoke thanks yeah um I, I saw the second line and read the first one um but george they the plan was you know dylan murphy and and steve jones wrote a really nice piece for cleaning the glass previewing it and one of the things they highlighted was something that we talked about too is just no airspace for Paul George ever, especially when it's off the dribble. You know, if he's going to pick and roll, you get into him, force him off that three-point line, and just pressure. You know, if he beats you, he beats you. You got Rudy Gobert on the floor behind you, and George is not the quickest guy, not the most amazing finisher at the rim, but he is going to hit kill you with these three-pointers. He got up 12 of them, but a lot of them were some pretty difficult attempts. Also, though, I mean, it's fair to note that with Mello, two of nine from three on some pretty good looks. He was six out of 18, ultimately, uh, that 
they had some good looks in this in the fourth quarter did not get it the russ george and anthony combined for 0 for 14 in the fourth quarter and that really was your game as they put up a mere 16 fourth quarter points yeah and there were also some weird plays i think maybe the single strangest offensive decision in this game was jeremy grant pulling a corner three with 20 seconds on the he shot wasn't clock. even on he balance wide open yeah he, he was wide open but rushed the shot and that was when okc was really gasping for air offensively and he's not that guy i mean jeremy grant i like him as a player i think that he had to fill a, a very weird role in this game because steven adams only played 22 minutes but he is not a floor spacer and he did a lot better actually he did one play really nice layup righty layup around gobert kind of with with the reverse using the rim as a defender but he's not a jump shooter and i i think that he you have to sit there as a player and say okay we can get better than this shot and that's a criticism i've i've levied at oklahoma city before but not necessarily grant because he generally does a pretty good job of knowing what he is the Jazz uh, were able to get back to themselves uh, in this game a little bit more moving the ball. Still, Oklahoma City's pressure was difficult. I thought Corey Brewer, especially early in the game, did a really nice job. He's better defensively than we, when we've last seen him in, in the playoffs. Uh, his hustle on a couple of fast breaks was good. He was getting into Mitchell, getting skinny, over screen, staying more solid than we've seen from him. That was always the problem was he would really gamble, couldn't get over screens. We saw him, for example, back in the 2013 playoffs. He couldn't guard Steph Curry. He's he, he, struggled same thing in the 2015 playoffs against a team like the Warriors which you know obviously that's a better team than the Jazz but he did a good job of getting over screens he had better defense than I thought that we would see from him uh but certainly the support players for OKC really were not able to contribute a ton one of three on three pointers from Brewer in 29 minutes Abrinas who really shot the ball well didn't play much in this one he was only 0 for 2 it was uh i thought that patrick patterson actually wasn't terrible in his minutes although they really got outscored just the one thing that he did that i noted on the broadcast was he actually like moved the ball really quickly one time which i mean no one on okc does that just like i caught the ball and i'm immediately gonna reverse it you know which they could do a lot more of i'm not saying he should play more necessarily because he's just so limited offensively but it was really i guess the other thing we need to talk about too is with favors playing so well. I mean he played 37 minutes he and Gobert actually closed the game and I thought that was huge they cl- closed off the defensive glass late and and I think they have looked better me even on both ends perhaps uh with favors and Gobert out there together so I would expect that we're going to continue to see a lot of minutes from that combination and we also could see more of Utah pressing at the offensive glass particularly with those two guys Jay Crowder actually did that way too much he is not nearly as good an yeah. offensive rebounder as Derek favors and Rudy Gobert and the other thing I want to dimension was I thought they got some solid minutes from Dante Exum in this game and intuitively my read on the series was that Raymond Felton solid vet has dealt with so many things before I thought he had a really nice year with the Clippers as well the last year was okay Exum is just basically Felton's never going to be in a hurry and he'll you know use his bigger body he'll get into some spots it doesn't have to be the Raymond Felton show whenever he's on the floor and Dante Exum broadly speaking has done a better job speeding Felton up than I ever thought he could and and yes Raymond Felton ended up with a decent scoring line but I didn't think that the Thunder offense looked particularly dominant in in those Exum Felton minutes no and uh 
Exum did a nice job. He had a, a pick six basically on Felton. He ended up having to pass it back, but that was a, a nice play. And he definitely prevented them from getting them into the offense with his pressure and his length. And what do you see for the next game in this series now? Well, I think we're going to see more of Favors and Gobert together. Another swing factor. God, we're going to have a lot of hand wrist stuff, it sounds like, with this series in Cleveland. What Steven Adams we get? Because yes, he part of the reason he only played 22 minutes was because he fouled out, but he just didn't look like himself to yeah. me for most of the He did of have game. five and offensive rebounds and nine points even so. But yeah, he did. But he looked in discomfort, you know, like that sort of mm-hmm. thing. He can work through it. Adams is a very talented player. And hopefully time helps that because the Thunder do not have any semblance of a replacement for him. So anytime Adams plays fewer minutes or is less effective, they don't have any other recourse. And without Andre Robertson on the floor, you have to deal with dribble penetration differently because it has become a fact of life. It is not something that can be avoided or mitigated and Adams and Westbrook have this fabulous pick and roll chemistry that he doesn't really have with anyone else so they are really missing something offensively when Adams is not on the floor that's certainly the case Uh, for the Thunder Donovan Mitchell did do it late against Paul George. He actually really just like blew by him a, a couple of times. Uh, wrong. Well, you know. and, and something quick I want to note here. You mentioned that he went zero for seven from three. He didn't make a jump shot in this game because he also missed his only mid-ranger. So for Mitchell to score 28 points in a game, almost all of that coming at the free throw line in the restricted area is very impressive when you consider what we think of as, you know, his full offensive repertoire that he was able to kind of cut it, not cut out the fat because it was still there, but be, be a productive part of Utah's offense even when the jump shot wasn't falling and and it was pointed out that hey you know how impressive is it really 28 points on 29 possessions to use 10 out of 25 he had the the four turnovers is that really that efficient uh maybe not he also had uh only two assists but every time late in the clock it's him having to make the play I mean so much so on this Utah team and this is not a team that has you know Ricky Rupio while Rubio shot it well from three and a lot of those were in the corner too I mean that's I think if you're the Thunder maybe you don't want to give up those shots from the corner as much Rubio's four of four from the corner in this game but they're still not guarding Rubio so uh, on a lot of these drives I mean he's just twisting it up among a ton of players and if he just hits a few more jump shots then it does it is an efficient night and just it was really the quality of of the play the quality uh, and especially down the end what he was able to do when he just got relentless going through I mean maybe if you're OKC you think about going under on him a little bit he has shot under 30 percent on threes off the dribble this season uh see if he he can beat you there um but you know it's not it's not like he had some untenable performance like they couldn't stop him over the course of the entire game uh and the good news was he looked good enough with that foot contusion to put in this kind of a performance um yeah you know i'm not really sure i think this series now after two games has kind of reached a a strategic equilibrium i think we're maybe earlier than some series do where i don't see a lot of clear adjustments i mean the the jazz going with favors and gobert more i think they're going to do that until oklahoma city proves because that's clearly the best defensive line you know and for oklahoma city yeah well all right Carmelo anthony's got to hit some shots and, and maybe then if the, you know the, he can hurt Derek favors Derek favors is clearly winning that matchup against anthony they're fine putting favors on anthony right now and favors is beasting inside one other distillation of the value that donovan mitchell provides in this utah offense fourth quarter field goal attempts and and he also led the team in, in free throws tied with rudy gobert in that fourth quarter ricky rubio took five shots drebko took one and that was the pass 
from Dante Exum, if memory yes. serves. Joe Ingles took and missed one shot, and Donovan Mitchell took nine. He took more shots than the rest of his teammates combined. Utah only had a 104 offensive rating during those minutes, but that 104 offensive rating was a whole heck of a lot better than what Oklahoma City did during those same time. Yeah, and if you can, if he can create enough shots when they've got a spacing challenge, but great defensive lineup on the floor, it's ironically somewhat similar to the formula for the Thunder last year, though the Jets obviously moved the ball much more than the Thunder do. I think maybe for the Thunder, let's not leave Ricky Rubio so wide open. Now, of course, that's Russell Westbrook guarding him. Uh, and Russell Westbrook kind of leaves guys on the perimeter wide open whether you want him to or not but if you've got favors and Gobert on the floor you should be able to get enough help at the rim on these drives without having to leave a shooter I mean that's why favors did hit two out of three three pointers he'll space out to the corner on occasion uh but of course one of the people who's going to help with guarding Derek favors is Carmel Anthony and he's not actually good at that so that's a, an issue as well the Thunder also went to switching a lot I mean we even saw like Westbrook matched up on Rudy Gobert a, a bunch of times we saw Westbrook matched up on favors favors trying to get deep into the post uh, on him a few times I don't know how much of that we're going to see from the Thunder it was kind of a I think a ploy to get the Jazz out of their passing game and their ball movement trying to attack mismatches but um you know i think it's really this has the feel of a series where every game at least one of these teams and maybe both of them are going to have bad offensive games you know the thunder did this game it's just who's going to be able to get quite enough here um you pick the utah jazz in six do you stick with that prediction after these first two games yeah i could i mean oklahoma city supremely talented i i they're a phenomenal team but i like where utah is in terms of understanding where what they need to succeed and the rotation is getting pretty close to where I would like it, which is certainly a good sign. And with Oak, I, oh, there are plenty of reasons for Oklahoma City to win this series. I'm, I, you know, I, this is as close to a coin flip, I think, as any series for me right now. But Carmelo Anthony is not going to get better at defense. And Corey Brewer is talented. I thought he had some really nice hustle plays in this game, but I don't think, he, you know, maybe he'll have one game where he hits a bunch of shots and swings it. So it's going to really rise and fall on Melo's offense, Paul George being an absolute monster like he was in game one. And then Russell Westbrook taking the right shots, making as many shots as he can, being active in transition, and whether this Oklahoma City team can make fewer mistakes on defense than they did here, because they're not, they're certainly still a talented defensive team without Robertson, but the margin for error for them is so much tighter now than it would have been otherwise. Yeah, worth noting too, Westbrook, uh, one of 10 on twos outside the restricted area, not great, uh, separation that he's getting in those he's been going into this these kind of half post-ups where he backs down but goes to his right shoulder fade away every time and you know, i'm not sure how great a shots uh, those really are but i still do think that paul george and russell westbrook are going to be able to do enough offensively and enough games to push the thunder over the edge but i mean like i said i picked the thunder in seven if the jazz had had home court i probably would have picked the jazz you know i think it is that close and we'll see you know maybe can donovan mitchell out duel westbrook and george out of the end of these games and the thunder you know 11 out of 35 on threes tonight they shoot a little bit better maybe they win this game uh because 35 threes is a, a pretty good number although the jazz also struggled from downtown at nine out of 29 all right we will uh i mean this isn't much of a plug here because this game was utterly desultory but the rockets wolves game we can discuss uh right after this for my friends at indochino i'm excited to head into our local san francisco indochino and take a look at some of the fabrics to pick out for all of the groomsmen 
at my wedding also going to get a tux and what's so great about indochino well it's made to measure at a price that is more affordable than you're going to pay at a department store just 379 dollars when you enter that familiar cab space code at checkout and not only does it fit you perfectly because it's made to measure but you can customize the other aspects as well. They have just a ton of favorites, over 100, I, I think. You can get single-breasted, double-breasted, so that's actually coming back. Uh, maybe Draymond Green uh, goes double-breasted. I don't know if that's the best look for everyone. But the jacket lining, they have some really cool patterns on the jacket linings, the lapels. You can get a monogram, much more. Even if you're not in a position to go into their many North American showrooms. And as it so happens, all my groomsmen live in cities that have showrooms for Indochino. And you can do the measurements yourself. They have a online tutorial to do so. Once again, Indochino.com, any premium suit for just $379 with that cap space code. That's 50% off the regular price and shipping is free. Indochino.com, promo code CAPSPACE. Use that code to let them know that you came from us. So it did not augur well when tom thibodeau said after game one when asked about the rocket switching that he thought the wolves did a great job of attacking it they didn't really score particularly well in game one it was clear that the rockets were going to shoot better in game two that they played extremely poorly offensively in the first game that they're going to have to score better and you know through at halftime the wolves had an 82 offensive rating and i really picked up this game i mean i i watched a, a, you know a portion of the first two quarters but i really picked it up after that and it w- i had talked with you about you had mentioned about their offensive struggles in the second quarter and i cracked up because i'm like, I'm like they were just as disastrous in the third and the the number that struck me and the game was already swinging out of hand at that point but minnesota only took 15 shots from the field in that third quarter they had seven free throws so you have to add that in and of those 15 shots only two of them were by either jimmy butler or carl anthony towns towns only played four and a half minutes in that stretch and so they just had it in poor shot makers they only scored 18 points in that whole quarter as you know the rockets took what was already becoming a laugher and just made it over the offense was the problem for minnesota it ended up a 102 82 victory for the rockets 82 points for the timberwolves and i thought that the wolves would at least be able to score on the rockets and that they just wouldn't be able to stop the rockets and it looked a lot uglier you remember that the rockets put up a buck 29 offensive rating on the wolves and their four victories over them this season and yet the wolves haven't been able to score it and this is with you know joe johnson Gerald green playing minutes and bob mute maybe their best defensive player not even available right now for the rockets and it's just everything has gone wrong for the wolves they even wore like the crappiest uniforms in the first two games those gray uniforms that everybody has that like why do you wear gray like i i, I prefer like the neon green ones even to those um they had the shots taken by the wrong guys Derek rose got three consecutive shots blocked crawford uh was i think like negative 17 in the first half something like that butler only took six shot attempts towns was two of nine through 18 minutes and never took another shot attempt although he barely played as you mentioned only played 24 minutes as tibbs i think was just mad at him and went in another direction so towns has a, a grand total of 13 points in two of these games and we thought that towns could be effective in the post but and he could do better i mean just individually play better hit more shots play with a lot more effort and energy but the personnel is awful and the scheme is awful i mean if you could point to 
a single possession where a wolf ran any faster than a jog unless he had the ball in his hands i would be shocked on offense like you you just there's no movement there's no hard cutting there's no hard rolling and you might as well not hard roll because you're just going to roll right in to help anyway because they're helping off these shooters it's just like for all those who's, who thought, hey, you know what? The Wolves, like, you can criticize their offseason moves. Their offense was fourth in the NBA during the regular season or third, whichever, depending on which site you look at. You lock in on this team in the playoffs, and it seems pretty clear that they are relatively easy to stop. Although, certainly, the Butler wrist injury and knee injury is not great. And, you know, Towns clearly has something going on. But And maybe they'll play better at home. But this is just, these first two games have been an offensive disaster for this team. Yeah, and it's, it's sad to see just because minnesota has so much potential and they can play even with the misgivings that we have expressed in these last five minutes they can play a lot better than they have in these games but so can the rockets i mean the rockets offense has has looked i don't i wouldn't necessarily say their offense has looked disjointed i just think that the shots haven't been falling as much as they usually do the wolves strategy i think well uh, although they did get a 52 three-point attempts in this one which uh yeah they did the strategy was to kind of lay back on the pick and roll and at least you know harden they were able to stop pretty well he only had 12 points he was two of 18 one of 10 on threes although i think you know he was getting pretty much the same looks as he got it in game one so uh from three-point range they just weren't going in so he was seven to 12 last game he was one of 10 this game on some of the same shots so if we were ready to proclaim james harden as a playoff god we might go in another direction and and with this next data point here uh but chris paul if you're going to blame him as a playoff failure in game one he came through and dominated in this game 27 points 10 of 18 from the field also eight assists and only one turnover that's one of the other stories of this game is that houston only turned the ball over nine times and i think a portion of those were in garbage time so the rockets don't turn the ball over that much as uh, it has been something we talked about over the year it's been attributed to their iso offense but also they just had don't they don't throw that many just truly reckless passes they do some but not not a ton and i thought chris paul was just more of a maestro in this game he looked more comfortable getting to his spots he had that crazy super high arcing floater i believe that was over gordon Jang and Utah didn't really do much or sorry not Utah Minnesota didn't really do much to put him in discomfort and I think some of that goes from just the guys they have at guard you know Jeff Teague Derek Rose played 17 minutes and Tyus Jones did have more time partially because this game got totally out of hand but I, I don't I don't feel like there's anybody that they can put on Chris Paul to say oh man he's gonna have a really tough night because of that player he can have a tough night just because everybody does it's basketball but it's a different kind of series for him I really focused in on the second quarter which the wolves held at one point a 25 to 18 lead and they would finish that quarter with only 40 points and went on a really big tough stretch through the first six minutes or so i watched the entire quarter because i knew that they'd struggled in that quarter before i watched it because we were watching the other game uh so i had to watch it on tape i was like i'm gonna count all of the good shots that they get in this quarter i counted one which was andrew wiggins with a nice baseline drive found jeff teague for a spot up three on the left side that missed other than that every shot was contested like or i don't think they really got anything at the rim at all in that quarter until maybe late it was just really really ugly and you know they have no plan to attack the switching there's 
still after this i mean whether it was towns just going into a regular post up against an a they tried to have towns go at harden in the first quarter that didn't really work very well harden uh, towns could do better against harden obviously but there are also i would much rather attack trevor Ariza in the post than harden because Ariza just is nowhere strong enough to deal with towns uh or even paul perhaps uh, as well so that wasn't really the much of a plan um you know did they run one play where okay we're gonna have a small sprint towards the ball and then he's gonna just sprint away from the ball just slip the screen instead like we're gonna they did absolutely nothing that ever could have caused any kind of a miscommunication or defensive mistake from houston because they're not setting enough screens it's just one screen get the switch try and attack i thought that with those limitations teague actually at least was attacking hard and trying to get to the rim and force some help the rest of these guys are just uh, iso pound it you know it really is just miserable basketball and then the lineup that tibbs started the second quarter with that couldn't score he had towns out there butler at the four all right that's pretty interesting of course let's not forget that they don't have any other playable wings maybe bielitsa could play a little bit more here you you've been talking about that uh he actually had 16 points in this one and was, was just about the only wolf to score efficiently uh, he was only negative one, although much of what he played was just a, in garbage time at the end. So I think playing him more would be a, a way to go. He's also maybe the only guy in this team who can pass much. The only guy who can make a decision. He's got some shooting um, because they they got to get some offense on on the floor and at the very least space the the floor around their scores because they went with Rose Teague and Crawford in addition to Butler and Towns and Rose it's like okay you got Butler the four now we're gonna have some spacing finally but then you're playing Derrick Rose who has like less range than a center <laughs> it, and uh you know maybe you go with Tyus Jones there that works a little bit better you've got some shooting but just the lack of personnel the lack of system the lack of passing ability i mean a lot of it's on the players these guys are not hitting some of the shots that they normally would but a a lot of it too is on tom thibodeau and i'm remembering now you know it seemed like a mistake in hindsight but there are many who thought hey you know what it's time for him to move on from the bulls because his system is so stilted and we're remembering exactly why that is now it was also that second quarter when rose got blocked on three consecutive possessions right yes it was yeah I, i i did mention that as well um and uh, we should also mention Gerald Green's performance uh, for yeah absolutely for Houston. He, he ended up seven of seventeen, but he was huge in getting the offense going early on. You know, Gerald Green might be someone you might want to attack on the switch every once in a while, or uh, maybe Joe Johnson as well, who played sixteen minutes in this one. So. Uh, I mean, even if they're going to be very limited in terms of like the matchups that they're attacking, I think they can at least like try to be smarter about that, try to get some shooting on the floor. And, uh, but even so, like the Rockets are still going to play better offensively at some point. I mean, you give up 52 three point attempts, you're probably going to lose. Uh, and they got really a great game from Chris Paul is the only guy who played amazingly well for Houston offensively in this game. And yet this was a total blowout. Two other small notes. Uh, Gochi actually played in this game and scored in garbage time. I believe those are his first playoff points. And friend of the pod, Aaron Jackson, had his own jersey. That was actually something that I, I follow a couple of jersey <laughs> counts. They noted that in, in an earlier game, he did not because the, he had the same number as, I think it was Demetrius Jackson or somebody like that. Or no, it couldn't have been because that number, the name would have been right. And But he had his own jersey and he played uh, played three minutes in garbage time as well. Yeah, negative three though. Pretty pretty weak performance from Aaron. Uh, I, I didn't actually see those minutes. I, I turned it off. But uh, Oh, and this isn't really about the game, but while we're, it's kind of, you could consider this the 
transition into news. Justin Patton, who really had a lost season due to injury, he underwent surgery today to, as they said it, to it was designed to encourage further healing of a prior metatarsal fracture. So that was an issue that he had earlier in this season. And so I presume that means he's going to miss uh, summer league, though I guess technically speaking, there might be enough time between now and then that he could come back. It seems unlikely. I mean, this sounds like similar to like the Kevin Durant situation, right? You get the initial surgery can you come back uh no and so now you gotta have like the bone graft procedure all right he did come back but then you re-injure it you still have pain you gotta have the bone graft procedure and so that sounds like you know maybe ready for training camp type of thing rather than summer league i'd be very surprised if you're gonna play there uh we haven't talked about this yet although it happened friday the draft tiebreakers were broken uh the bucks the biggest news there is they kept their pick they had a coin flip with miami both of them at 44 and 38 to determine who would be the 16th and 17th pick and the bucks lost that coin flip and therefore won it's a little funnier than that because the suns knew they were getting the 16th pick because they have both teams pick if it was 16 but then if miami lost the coin flip then they would have had both 16 and 17 but by virtue of the bucks losing the coin flip they only get 16 yeah so the bucks do keep their pick although now it's what is the protection on that for next year now so now that we have moved on to the 2019 portion of it it is still double-sided so it but it is a little bit narrower so milwaukee keeps the pick if it is one to 13 or sorry one to three so if it's one of the first three picks or if they make the playoff actually sorry not just make the playoff 17 to 30 same constraint as before so if they finish one of the two worst records then they don't get it and then it is the next year in 2020 when it goes to single-sided protection then it's one through seven that year and unprotected in 2021 should it make it all the way there yeah so you would think perhaps with the new coach which certainly seems to be the way it is trending right now that maybe the the bucks would be good enough to to keep the pick again next year but they are somewhat hamstrung in terms of their ability to make deals whether it's dumping salary whether it's picking up someone else who's going to help uh in the keep Giannis derby here and well their last two first round picks they've got absolutely nothing out of them so far in this series uh, although thon was looking promising in the beginning uh in other tiebreaker news there san antonio got the 18th pick they were tied with minnesota uh but that minnesota pick then goes to atlanta and a cruel irony for minnesota because i mean not that they kept the pick but san antonio also won the tiebreaker but that does not affect what happens in the lottery odds they won the tiebreaker to actually get seven instead of the eighth seed i think minnesota could have done a little better against this warriors team although certainly uh their troubles against houston might belie that to some degree uh minnesota though will then replace the pick that they're losing with okc's pick from the canter trade uh interestingly they lucked out because okc was among four teams that were 48 and 34 but okc won the coin flips i guess you could say among those four teams so minnesota only loses one slot there then you've got utah after that among the 48 and 34 teams uh chicago via the pels and you certainly would bet that the bulls were hoping for a lot better than 22 with that pick when the trade was made they were thinking at the very least the pels would be you know the eighth seed and uh and that they wouldn't win 48 games but uh you know the bulls and the rest of those inveterate tankers really drove up the win totals for a lot of these teams fighting for the playoffs and then indiana who we said wisely lost their last game which was totally meaningless to get into that 48 and 34 mix uh they could have actually gone up as high 
as 20th but in fact they lost out of those teams so they're 23rd but at least they avoided having to flip with portland uh for 23 they just get it portland uh will be 24th with 49 wins and then of course the toronto's pick goes to brooklyn and uh, another pick that when the team traded for it, you ho- certainly hope they'd be higher. That's the 29th pick in the draft in Cleveland. Another one that where they were when the trade was made with the Lakers, uh, Cleveland is 25. That's going to the Lakers. The Lakers probably hoped that would be a better pick when they traded for it. But still, uh, they still got a great deal, so they can't complain too much. In terms of this draft itself, I mean, you can make an argument with the Bucks because of the protection. That was the most important. But the two coin flips in the lottery are also important. And as a piece of background in the lottery, because those picks are still in flux, the way it works is if two teams tie they combine the combinations for those two allocations and then split it evenly and if there's one left over so just one combination out of a number those get split but the reason that the coin flips matter is because it is the tiebreaker in case neither team moves up so the first one is six and seven chicago won the coin flip and so sacramento who i believe won their last game of the season yeah they did so then instead of being the six by themselves they fell to the seven they felt instead of being six by themselves they went into the coin flip they lost the coin flip so chicago has the six best odds sacramento has seventh though again it's the combination and split it and then the even bigger one atlanta and dallas dallas lost their last four games the actually the longest losing streak of any lottery team thanks to phoenix winning on the last day of the season and our last game of the season dallas won that coin flip as well so while it doesn't improve their combinations more than that mean trivial amount in case doubt neither dallas nor atlanta moves up then dallas would pick in front of atlanta yeah those are our big outcomes there and for dallas mark cuban was some comments saying basically we have cap room there's no reason to save it we might even use it before the draft to trade for a player uh because they actually have cap room right now as of this moment in this league year uh if somebody wants to get off of money so using it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to get an awesome free agent it could mean that they are going to take on some bad money and he said he expects to keep a lot of the team together 10 guys if not more uh there uh the nba g league more resources will be thrown in there this is part of the the recent cba uh every g league player will earn seven thousand dollars per month so thirty five thousand dollars overall the previous two-tiered salary system that had some players earning less than twenty thousand dollars a year is being scrapped and then of course you know, there are obviously the two-way players as well so more resources going into the g league not not competitive necessarily with some of the overseas salaries at least for some of the best guys but enough where it, you're at least making something and it's only a, a five-month season so uh you know can get a summer job if you need to uh not really serious about that uh for the knicks their coaching vacancy kenny smith is actually going to interview uh judging by his commentary i would not be particularly supportive of that hire and in orlando and we still don't know what's going to happen with the knicks and i still we talked about this a little bit the other day my prediction still maybe not with the knicks because they've been pretty active here and maybe with phoenix and we'll see what happens there with coach boat we'll talk about that in a second but i do predict that there's going to be not a ton of movement until the bucks are eliminated and then and and they make their move and then maybe the dominoes will fall afterwards and uh you know might not be too long until the bucks are eliminated at this point uh 
what's going on in phoenix with mike budenholzer who's received permission to discuss that uh the sun's position so per woge's report earlier in the week budenholzer and the sun's met on both monday and tuesday and they have had these conversations but he is not the only person that they are you know talking with which is good you want to do due diligence that group has also included the recently fired steve clifford and frank vogel the more distantly fired david blatt and also jay triana who was it was in the mix who was their interim head coach and had more success right after earl watson got fired than later on this season but you could say that the motivations organizationally though not necessarily for triano himself were compromised by that point anything else here or are we about done well i i think that we should take take a second to talk about the the really sad news today which really blindsided me i think both of us which is shocking considering how close we have been to this series that aaron popovich greg popovich's wife of more than 40 years passed away due to what is being called a a lengthy illness i had no idea that this was going on it is certainly tragic news for the spurs family for the popovich family and we don't you don't ever want to put this in basketball terms because that is not remotely what is most important here. But we're recording this on Wednesday night and the Spurs play game three of their series on on Thursday. We haven't heard anything about what what will happen in terms of that. Obviously, Popovich can make, Greg Popovich can make whatever decision he wants, but I I, I want to extend our condolences to not only to the Popoviches, of course, but to the overall Spurs family because they have had a remarkable consistency in terms of their organization. So the Popoviches are woven more in the fabric there than most coaches are in this transient era yeah and it's certainly our quibbling over pop's language and discussing the Kawhi leonard situation in his group certainly seems totally ridiculous at this point and it's a good reminder too that when we criticize players when we criticize coaches that you never know what could be going on behind the scenes for them and you know they do have jobs to do that are in the public sector and and the gaze of people like us can be unfortunate forgiving it at times and that's our job is to evaluate them in their professional capacity um but certainly that doesn't preclude empathy i think we we could all try to do a better job of remembering that uh, whether it's coaches whether it's players whether it's front office people you know uh, everyone could have something that that they're going through and the and these are people and you know, I, I had a little bit of a well i won't say back and forth because i just responded to him and bill probably has no idea who i am with bill simmons yesterday about you know well why don't people ask uh questions like oh why isn't Kawhi with the team and does he want to be traded and stuff and and when you're actually there in in the press room it's hard to like kind of be confrontational like that like these are people you actually are looking them in the eye and you know it's not even a question of like being afraid of their wrath it's more just like not wanting to make someone really uncomfortable and they do get paid a lot of money uh to do this but that is a, a part of the element especially when you know you know that you're not no coach wants to talk about after a game or before a game or something like that but it is just especially for us because we're very analytical about these things it's really important always to remember that there's a, a human element to this and certainly to everyone with the spurs to coach pop our, our condolences all right on that somber note i i guess we'll wrap well, it up if you have well, anything else should, you wanted to, to mention well the other thing we should mention is that we're going to have a little bit of a different format for dunked on the 
next couple of days. I'm very happy about this. I think it's a, a, a good idea for us. So the reason why we were doing this is because if we didn't, if we recorded in our normal schedule of Thursday night and then Sunday night, we would have to talk about three games and all uh, three days of games and all of the machinations that come with that. And we've done that in pre- prior years and gotten a little bit overwhelmed. So what we're doing is we will still be doing the Twitter NBA show for Sixers Heat, but we will not be recording Dunked On for a Thursday night slash Friday morning episode. Instead, we will record on the events of Thursday night's games and Friday night's games on Friday night. So that will be released on Saturday so that we can kind of keep the weekend its own thing. Yeah, and a lot of times, I mean, you would have in some of these series a game three on Friday and then a game four on Sunday. So two games in a series would have happened since we last recorded. And then you're always going to get short shrift to that game three. So we'll give this a shot if you guys want to give us some feedback and know, uh, sometimes you're relying on us for your friday commute but we thought we could do a better job of of coverage here and hopefully if you gotta do some work around the house on saturday uh, there aren't that many pods available on saturday so you can uh can listen then yeah and you might be able to get Real Jam Radio. I am recording it on Thursday morning. I'm hoping to turn it around, especially with the added motivation of knowing we're not putting out an episode. So maybe you can have Real Jam Radio with a guest that you all will enjoy if uh, I can turn around in time. All right, that'll do it for today. Thanks again so much for listening, and we'll talk to you all Friday night. Till then. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 